So we're going to talk about a subject. Um, well, actually, we've been talking about a subject that is beyond our mind, but yet it's not beyond our mind. Um, so we're talking about God. And, um, and there's an awesome verse um, um, in Deuteronomy 29, 29. And I should have given you guys that verse. You guys can, can look it up. But it says, um, the hidden things God has kept from some, but the things that he wants you to know is revealed in his word. And um, so he gives us these things he want to know, but when you start talking about God, it starts to get really like, oh my goodness, he's big. Oh my goodness, he's huge. And sometimes it can, it can pull out more questions than answers sometimes when you talk about God. And so that's what we're going to look at today, is we're going to pull out more questions and answers. You might go, oh my goodness, God is absolutely big, but I don't know enough. <laughs> and, and then you might have these questions. Well, what I want to encourage you to do when you say God is big, but I have a whole bunch of questions after this topic was given, is just relax and love God. Just relax and love him for who he is. Because what is given in the word is given to us for specifically helping us and giving us, giving us life. And God wants to tell you who he is, because if you can get the concept of who God is, you know what's going to happen? Life is going to take place. And yes, he does it in Jesus, but yes, he does it in the Old Testament as well to see his magnificent power, glory, and beauty. So we're going to talk about the providential um, will of God. And uh, when we're looking at the providential will, we'll give you the explanation, the, the description of that. I will tell you that um, um, it can make even some people um, frustrated, confused, view God like, what, what's going on? What's taking place? What's happening? And, and I don't want to do that. And, um, and the reason why I don't want to do that is because God wants complete strength, peace, and happiness who is inside of us, but you, which is inside us. But you also need to understand who God is and how God works. So um, don't get all frustrated and uh, angry with, well, I don't understand this. I don't understand this. And we'll leave time for questions. But um, I probably won't be able to answer all the questions. All I know is God is right and God is good and God is beautiful, and God is glorious. And if I don't understand him, I don't care to the concepts of some concepts that he has given us that we, we can't even conceive. So let's talk about God's providential will. Before we do, let's just ask a question. Uh, who threw Jonah into the sea? I mean, just simple question. Who threw him into the sea? Well, it says exactly who threw him into the sea in Jonah 1.15. It says, so they picked him up. What happened is people in the boat did what? They picked him up, and they threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. So who threw Jonah into the sea? They, sailors, threw Jonah into the sea. But then you come to another verse, Jonah 2, 3 says this, for you had cast me into the sea. Who's he talking about? He's talking about God. Well, wait a second, wait, wait a second. Who threw Jonah into the sea? Was it the sailors or was it God? I mean, that's a question that's like, whoa, 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 what's going on? He said very specifically, they picked him up and threw him in the sea. And then you say, for you, God cast me into the sea, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. He's all of a sudden describing God and what God has done to them after human beings cast him into the sea. So I'll ask a simple question. Who threw him into the sea? <laughs> Depends on what perspective you're looking at. It really depends on what perspective you're looking at. A human mind or a mind that comes from providential will. It goes all the way through the Bible. Who sold Joseph into slavery? His answer, what is his brothers threw him into slavery. So when Joseph came, into, came to his brothers, they stripped him and they robed and he was richly um, ornamented his robe um, he was wearing and they took him and they threw him into the cistern. I mean, it is obvious who threw him into the cistern. Who was it? It was his brothers. But Genesis 50 says this, you intended to harm me, but God did something, intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See, there was a plan, or was there a plan? I mean, is the fate in Jonah's, or in, in uh, um, Joseph's brothers, or is God doing something. Who hardened Pharaoh's heart? Exodus 8, 15. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he, meaning Pharaoh, hardened his heart, and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. But Exodus says, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, 
and he was not listened to Moses and Aaron. Oh, there's contradictions, but is there contradictions? No, there's not contradictions. It's just allowing us to think as we ask these simple questions. Romans 9 even gets more aggressive with the questions. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy. He hardens whom he wants to harden. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who resists his will? But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it? Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out the same lump of clay, some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? Hmm, very aggressive verse saying, God's in control. God's in control. We can consistently ask these questions. I don't want to spend a lot of time because you will see that the verses are there, but we can ask the question, who made Esther queen? Who wreaked havoc on Job? Who sentenced Jesus to death? There's a good question. Who sentenced Jesus to death? I mean, finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Was it Pilate who sentenced Jesus to death? Or was it the soldiers who put Jesus to death? Jesus answered, you have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. They didn't sentence Jesus to death. According to that passage, who sent Jesus to death? The Jews sent Jesus to death. But then you get another passage. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up. Nobody killed me except underneath my authority. So questions, all of a sudden these questions start to raise as you look and say, what is going on? What is going on comes under this word providence. And it goes all the way through scripture. And what providence is saying, I'll give you the definitions of those things. What providence is saying is saying your fate, you're not in control is what he's saying. God is in control and if we we're in control. Do you know what's going to happen? Jesus might never have made it to the cross. He might never have made it to the cross. We work under a big and glorious God that has a plan, that has a plan. And his plan is going all the way through the Old Testament. And you can track it during the 3,000 years that is old, the, Old Testament, the Old Testament was written. And when you even look at the tracking of it, when was it dark, the darkest time probably in this planet? The darkest time on this planet was the book of Judges. Judges was an ugly 300 years that took place. In fact, I want to do a sermon series on Judges just to tell you how sick Judges was because it was nasty, nasty, nasty. And then after you get this nasty, 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 you get one little spark of light that's in the book of Judges, but it's not in the book of Judges. You know what the spark of light is? It's the book of Ruth. And if you look at the book of Ruth, the first words out of Ruth, it says, the book of Ruth, it says, during the time of judges, meaning that it's right in the center of the darkest time in history, there was, and then they start telling the story of Ruth. And then as you start hearing the story of Ruth, you start to see the ancestor line continue to go. And what I mean by the ancestor line continue to go is everything is still pointing to Jesus all the way through the Old Testament. God's providential will is weaved all the way through the scriptures in the writing to say, you're not in control. God is in control. So let's look at this word providence. The word provide is from the Latin word providence. Providere means to foresee. Yes, we can't conceive that. We cannot understand that. But God foresees what is taking place and what is being done. It's a forethought and a foresight implying a future end, a goal, and a definite purpose and a plan for attaining that end. So God is at work to make sure that his end will happen. And he says some radical things in Scripture. One of the radical things he says, one day I will come again. <laughs> is that going to happen? Maybe. <laughs> you better not say maybe. <laughs> no, because God has taken his providential will and said, it will happen period, and my word is saying that it's going to happen, 
and nothing is going to stop it. Jesus is going to die, period, and no human being is going to stop it. Jesus' line, bloodline, is going to come through the ancestors, and you can actually weave it and see God's hands written all over it in the Old Testament that there is a plan of the, bring the salvation to the souls of mankind, bring salvation to people, and that plan is driven not by human beings, but it's driven by God. The word providence has come to us, I'm sorry, come to be used to, to signify that preparation, care, and supervision which are necessary to secure a desired future result. And then Isaiah 46, 10 says, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times things have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Makes the statement. God's purpose is gonna happen and he will accomplish all his good pleasure. And all of a sudden, all these questions start to ask, what's going on? What's, what's taking place? I thought I was in complete, entire control of, of everything. God is saying, relax. There's a plan that's being woven through humanity. And this plan has God's mission in mind, God's end goal in mind. And we can open up the pages of Scripture. We can say, God has an end goal, and I am in it. In fact, where I am at exactly is I am between, and you are between um, um, the book right before Revelation, the book of Jude, in between Jude and Revelation is exactly where we're at in time. In fact, time isn't done yet. We're just traveling through this plan of God, and we still have got to get to Revelation, and that's where we're at underneath this plan. So look at this providence. Number one, providence is the visible hand of God working all things out for his glory. The invisible hand that we cannot see, but it's working things out for his glory. Psalms 145.3 says, Great is the Lord and highly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Psalms 147.5, Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. Psalms 139.6, such knowledge is too high and wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. What we have done is we have taken God and we say, okay, God is only as big as my mind can think. God is not only big as mind can think. God is doing something that we don't even understand even outside of Scripture. We have to look at Scripture to see exactly even what he is doing. But there's a plan that is going and it's in the visible hand that is working. Number two, believers are under God's providential plan. Yes, there's providence, and we are under his plan. Proverbs 19, 21. Many plans are in man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will what? Will stand. All of a sudden, I have something in my heart that says, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to accomplish. This is what's going to take place. And God says, you know what's really going to take place? Is my glory is going to take place. What I want to happen is, is actually going to happen. Um, and then all of a sudden, as I'm moving, as I am walking, as I am making these decisions, as I am living my life, I think that I have all this control, and I believe that I have all this control, but as I was walking, God, when I get to heaven, God says, boy, thank you for being faithful, because that's all I wanted you to do. Because in the process of being faithful, what happened is I had this all controlled underneath you. I had places to send you, I had places to move you. All I'm asking for you to do is be faithful so then you can fall into the plan that I've already provided specifically for you. So you might think you have all the power, but the counsel of the Lord is the one that will end up standing. And we have that concept taking place in Pilate. He says, Jesus, or, um, Jesus he says, I have the, Pilate says, Jesus, I have the authority to crucify you. And Jesus says what? He says, you have no authority except what God has then put on, upon your shoulders. Proverbs 20, 24, men's steps are ordained by the Lord. How then can man understand his way? Number three, believers are under God's providential gifting. It's not only planned, but God has provided gifts to his body. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. I want to go through this quickly, just in a sense of looking at the time. Number four, believers are under God's providential strength. Uh, 
I want to talk a little bit about my story because um, um, I love the word providence, just to let you know. <laughs> and what I mean by I love the word providence is I am thrilled out of my mind that God did not answer all my prayers. <laughs> I'm thrilled of, of God saying, okay, Mike, I, you know this, you think this is best for you, but I actually know something better that I want to put you instead. And so when I thought of something that is, I thought was best for me, God says, yeah, but I still have another plan that is, is a little bit different. And then when we look at the other plan, I'm like, well, God, I can't accomplish that plan. And that's where I feel like God is saying, good, you're exactly where I need you because I don't want anybody to accomplish the plan that I have. I want to be in somebody's shoes to accomplish the plan, and that person has to step, bay, step away and be a nobody so it, it can actually be done. That story started when I felt like I was being called into into ministry. And as I was being called into ministry, I worked for the state of Oregon, and I didn't think I was going to do anything else um, in my life except retire from the state. And then, you know, I could possibly go into some ministry fields with, you know, an income that was already secured in my retirement because I could retire at a, a young age. And also, I would have my house paid for at the exact same time, the same month of when I could retire with full retirement. And then God started pulling me away from that. And the way He started pulling me away from that is that I was a youth pastor at uh, um, Deaver Connor Community Church, which is just across the freeway. It's a church of about 80 people. And what I mean by a youth pastor, it's just what I did part-time, but it was my great, it was a huge passion that I had. And as I had this, this large passion to be a youth pastor and to minister to young people, I took all my vacation time and I put it into the youth group. And I bought a raft and I bought backpacks and I bought everything I could to give the kids an amazing time for the purpose of giving them Jesus. And the youth group grew into a very large size youth group um, back in, in Deaver Connor during that time. And, and then the senior pastor um, uh, one day called me in his office and he says, you know that I'm fading, my health is fading, and I'm going to pull away from my job. And I was wondering what you think about taking my job. And um, I didn't have to think about it. All I had to do was respond, and the answer was absolutely no way. <laughs> I want nothing to do with your job. I, you know, um, number one is that um, I don't like speaking in front of people. <laughs> Sorry. I don't, I, I don't feel like I, I want to be in front. I don't want to prepare a sermon because I don't know what to say. I've only preached, you know, three sermons in my life, and each of those sermons took like 40, 45, 50 hours to prepare for, and then you asked me to prepare for one every week. I said, I have nothing to say to anybody, and there's no way that I can even accomplish this. It was not even something I needed to think about. It was just an answer that I needed to give, and I gave that answer, and then it was out of my mind until I went to my devotions every morning. And when I went to my devotions every morning, God just started to um, um, beat me up. We'll, we'll put it that way. And it doesn't happen to everybody, but in the process of beating up, is the things that I've read during that time I've never read before. Things like, you know, the worst thing you can happen in your life is going without being called or being called and then refusing to go. And I'm like, but God, this is not a fit for me. It's not good. It's not healthy. Again, I don't know how to do it. And I don't, I don't want to step out there because if I did, I would fail. And if I fail, I'd have to fail in front of everybody because I'd have to stand up here in the process of failing. So I argued with God for three months and then finally, the different things I was reading, it's like, you're not going to go out there in your own strength. You have to go out there in God's strength. So after three months of arguing with God in my devotion time, I said, God, finally I give up. I have to say yes. And, um, and, and I didn't even know what I was signing up for. But I thought in my mind, what I am signing up for is a position to speak God's word. And I didn't know how to do it. I had no idea how to do it. Speak God's word to 80 people in a church. And um, so I... I told my wife. I said, I, you know, this is what the conversation that George has had, that our senior pastor has had. It's been put on my shoulders. And I said, I cannot get the burning thing in my mind of, I have to say yes. And uh, I knew that if she said no, then I didn't have to say yes. And I was happy about that. So I told her. And when I told her, she goes, oh no. <laughs> I'm like, oh good, I don't have to say yes. You know, it actually brought a, a sense of relief to me because, you know, we have to be in one body if we're going to function together in this process. But it wasn't two days later that I was doing my devotions and she was doing hers next to me and she started crying in the process of, I'm called to go with you. I don't understand what's going to happen and what's going to go on, but I feel like I need to, to go with you. And, and uh, I'm like, come on, I thought I'd be able to get away with this, you know, without going in front of everybody and making a fool out of myself. But she said that and she committed that and never changed her mind but we never knew where we, were, where we were going. We thought we were going in this one spot, which was a church. 
And then as we're going to this spot, yes, I put my application in. As I put my application in, a whole bunch of different things happened, weird things happened. You know, some people say, oh, you know, you're the fit for the job. I mean, they're just going to go through the formality of just putting you in, and everything's going to be wonderful. That is not what happened. <laughs> what happened is that God took me and raked me through the coals to the purpose of having absolutely no pride. Because when you are in a church, um, everybody has an opinion. <laughs> and when everybody has an opinion, um, it's often expressed. And a, a large opinion that was expressed is like, you don't know how to do it. And I said, I know, I agree with you. Nobody agrees with you more. It's like, um, you are gonna fail. I'm like, nobody agrees with you more <laughs> than me. I, I agree with you. Um, it's not going to be able to happen. You know, I mean, they gave, you have no experience. And I said, I know, I agree with you. I don't have anything that you're saying. And, uh, um, but I still have to keep on walking. So in the process of about a year, I don't want to go through a lot of details, but in the process of a year that took place, um, the, um, the denomination did not want me at that church. We embraced the denomination in the process of me getting the job because they asked me to embrace the denomination and the denomination did not want me at the church. And then I looked at God and I said, God, I don't understand what you're doing. It was a great year for you to rake me over the coals, to destroy every ounce of pride that I've had. And then at the very end, you, I said yes and you gave me absolutely nothing. And I'm just confused, God. But that's all right because I feel like I still need to take steps. So what I did is I started applying for seminary and as I applied for seminary, I, I, I got accepted to go to seminary because qualifications was what the denomination said. So I said, God, I got to keep going because I want to be faithful. So I ended up mortgaging my house for the purpose of paying for seminary. And, um, and then I went through two different application processes. And I went to my boss and I said, what I need to do is I need to sh change my shift so I can do seminary. I need some graveyards, because in graveyards, when you're working with kids, they're all sleeping, you can study a little bit. You know, that's just kind of a state job. And I said, so I, I need the graveyard. So the boss says, absolutely, no problem, you can have the graveyard shifts. And then three months later, after I asked my boss, he, um, I came to him and says, well, I'm accepted, paid $200, mortgage in my house, ready to go to seminary, ready to change my shift. He says, well, you can't. He says, I'm not gonna change your shift. And I'm like, if you don't change my shift, then I can't go to seminary. He goes, I don't care. <laughs> I'm not going to change. I'm not going to change the shift. In fact, I'm not going to let you change shifts anymore. And for the last 10 years, your shift has been working on Sunday morning, and I've allowed you to change it. Well, I'm going to switch that now, and you're going to have to start working Sunday morning. All in one conversation. I said, God, I have done everything I possibly could in the process of giving myself away to you, and you've done nothing but beat the crud out of me. And this is, you know, for a couple-year process. And, uh, but that's all right, because there's providence. <laughs> there's a peace that was there that I couldn't even explain. It's like, I wonder where I'm going to be in five years. I wonder where I'm going to be in 10 years. And this was back in 2005. And sure enough, where I was at is I had to find a church. Um, but even before I started looking for a church, we put our girls, uh, one of our girls, our oldest girl, into the preschool. And um, so I dropped her off every single day in preschool. And as I was dropping her off, I walked by um, um, Bob Thompson's door, who was an associate pastor at the time, and he called me in his office and said, hey, what's God doing in your life? I don't know why he called me in his office. He just said, what's God doing in your life? And I laughed at him and says, I have no idea what God is doing in my life. Right now, I just thought I gave myself away, but he's done nothing but tear me to shreds in the last, I would say, year, to the point where I don't have anything left in me to even, to even give. And he goes, oh, you got to go tell our pastor that, that you have absolutely nothing left to give because God tore you to shreds. So I go and I talk to Pastor D, and I said, you know, um, this is what God's doing, and I have no idea what he is doing. And, and Pastor D lights up and says, oh, perfect. I got a position for you. I'm like, what? Why would you mean I have a, a position for me? I just told you that I just failed all the way through. And he goes, I know, you're not ruined yet. So in other words, what we can do is you're nice and green, let's grow you, you know, in, in, the, in those things. And I'm like, okay, well, if you think, if you think this is going to work, we'll, we'll give it a, a try. So he gave me the, 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 um, the young adults uh, ministry. And uh, I remember uh, my first young adult meeting, we had 16 people in the room. 
And uh, I was like, okay, we could take 16 people and we can minister to these 16 people. And, and I feel like God wants me to do this. I feel like I can be alive in doing this. Well, in one year, I took them from 16 down to four. And in the process of being down to four, I remember a conversation I had with one person. He says, you know, I really just come because I know this group is really struggling. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I know. And God just continues to just tear me to shreds in all that I'm doing of no success, no success, no success, no success. And, and sure enough, that's what I was going through. And in the process of going through that, yes, 15 years, I would say, of being what is going on? I don't know how to do it. How do you accomplish it? I can't be doing anything. God has to be doing everything. All this taking place for 15 years. I now stand up in front of you and say, I am a broken, shattered person that has nothing to offer except this amazing word that we can just sit there and read. And it comes with power underneath a providential will that sent me when I didn't want to go and where I didn't know where I wanted to go. And in the providential will, in the process of doing it, it was not there to give me anything. It was there to make me into a nobody so the word of God can then be proclaimed. I'm just giving you my mind and my personality that I shouldn't be up here talking and you shouldn't be there listening to me. And the only reason that you would ever be listening to me is because there's a powerful word that I can just regurgitate to you. That's it. There's a powerful word that I can just spit out and regurgitate, and it's the Word of God and God's providential plan that comes behind it that carries so much impact that it would change individuals completely and entirely and change the world if the world would let it change. So here I am. I have no strength, but God told me that for so many years. God gives us a providential strength, but it's not from you. It's, it's actually from him. And that's the only reason I stand up here. Number five, believers are under God's providential security. He's again just asking us to just be faithful. He's not asking us to accomplish the world. He's not asking us to even conquer the earth. He's asking us to break ourselves and be completely faithful. And in the process of doing that, he will give us strength. He will be faithful and he will give us security. Jonah 2.3 says, For you cast me into the sea, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves, they all passed over me. But then a big fish swallowed me up. Three days later, he regurgitated. And then 5,000 years later, we're reading the story of, of Jonah. 4,000 years later, we're reading the story of Jonah. And we're gleaning from the principles of that story. Number six, believers are under God's providential care. James 5.11 we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's uh, perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. It's interesting that the words compassion and mercy are given into the same verse that talks about who? Job. <laughs> who is the person that was beat up more than anybody on this entire planet? Job, and then you hear the word, the Lord is full of compassion. The Lord is full of mercy. And Job is now looking back at his life and seeing his story be told and lives being changed for thousands of years because of his story being told. There's a providential plan. God is moving and working and causing these things to take place for the purpose of us telling us who he is and how he works with people. Romans 8:28 should give everybody security and we know that God causes all things to work together for for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Everything that has taken place in your life, you can relax because someday you're going to be able to see what was God doing? All the questions we have, we can say, what was God doing? I mean, do you see what's taking place in this earth? God is doing something, or God's doing nothing because I see all this ugliness that takes place. Well, when you see all the ugliness that takes place, God is working more than you can possibly even imagine. God is doing something. Number seven, believers are in God's providential relationship. Uh, 
Um, I'm just going to skip some verses, and I just want to fill out some notes because we have some things to talk about at the end. Number eight, believers are under God's providential will. I do want to bring up these verses just because the will of God is what we are talking about. Proverbs 16, 33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. The lot is cast into the lap. The decision is mine, but every decision is from the Lord. Proverbs 69, the mind of a, man's plan, a mind of a man plans his way, but then the Lord directs his step. You're planning your way, but God is still, providential will is still going through. Proverbs 20, 24, a man's steps are directed by the Lord. How then can anyone understand his way? We can't understand his way, our way. And, and, and what we want to do is we want to hold on to our way because we think what we want is going to be best for us. And God is shouting down underneath his providential will. He says, what you want is actually not best for you. What I want for you is better than you've ever dreamed. That's how God speaks in regards to providence. Because we're driving by, driven by our own mind, our own heart, our own will, but we have somebody who is God who knows something even better for us. Number nine, believers are under God's providential covenant. Psalms 139, 16, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Radical, radical, radical statements. Do you understand it? No. <laughs> you understand how it works? No. Do we understand how it's going to take place? You know, we, we don't understand the dynamics. But we get a verse that says, don't worry, your, your days are even ordained. A God who is powerful, a God who is then in control. Number 10, here's one to get to know. Kings and presidents are under God's providential power. Kings and presidents are under God's providential power. In other words, I'll just even say the scripture, not even put anything into it. Proverbs 21, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it, God turns it, wherever he wishes. Here we are thinking, the world is out of control. The world is falling apart. And, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, well who's to blame? What's going on? What's taking place as, as things start to, to crumble? And it's like, well, we all know exactly who to blame, you know, if we think our world is falling apart. It's probably the leaders. It's probably the world leaders. It's probably the leaders across all the nations, and their leadership is crushing the world. But God is saying, oh, these presidents and the king's power are under my providential power. It's like, what? How could you even say that? And why would you say that? And the reason why is because, you know, you can look at it and say, well, God, if, if, if you say that, I mean, this brings a lot of questions. If you say that, you're, you're almost taking, you know, some of the power away from him and putting it on you? You're taking all the power away from him and putting it on you? What are you, what are you doing, God? It brings more questions. It moves on. Eleven nations are under God's providential control. Job 12, 23, he makes the nations great. God makes the nations great. And then he destroys them. That's what he does. He enlarges the nation. Then he leads them away. I mean, these verses we, we read fast in the Old Testament. And as we read these verses fast in the Old Testament, if you really look into them, it's like, well, why are you even telling us this, God? Psalms 103, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all your kingdoms that you think are ruling. I am actually in charge of it. So here, give us an understanding. That would be a question. <laughs> give us, give us a, a glimpse of, of what's going on in regards to pro, God's providential will. And I'll just give you my perception of when it comes um, to providential will. And uh, it is mine, and you can think about it and think, okay, this is right or wrong in, in those things. Is, is every single one of us was completely and entirely born into absolute destruction. I don't deserve anything. I do not deserve 
one ounce of my air that I breathe. I don't deserve one ounce of my joy that could ever even possibly take place. I should have been doomed to eternity the second that I was eternity in hell is the second I was the second I was born. Why? Because I'm a, a sinner. I am somebody that has rejected by God and I've rejected by God by nature of even what I was grown into. This is this is how I really feel about who I am. But all of a sudden we see this providential will that literally says, but God was rich in mercy. God was rich in mercy. And being rich in mercy, he's doing something for a purpose and he's doing something for a goal. And then my question is, I hear God is rich in mercy. I'm gonna ask the question, is he merciful on me? I wanna ask that question, is he merciful on me? And then you hear the words in Acts 16, 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, not because of anything you've done, ever. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and by that grace, I can then all of a sudden be saved. By who? A God who has an amazing plan. A God who has an ultimate plan. When the process of all of us moving towards destruction, all of us being an absolute mess, all these things that are taking place, you see grace handed down to people. But it doesn't seem like it just touches everybody. The eyes aren't, aren't open. People are not responding. People are not seeing it. But you see this grace that God has poured out. And as he is pouring out this grace, people are being saved. The church is growing, and his name is being proclaimed, and his name is being exalted. And at the cross of Jesus Christ, his name will be praised for an eternity after we die. An eternity after we die. When we, a billion years into eternity, what are we going to be talking about? The cross of Jesus Christ. Do you know that? We'll talk about the cross of Jesus Christ and this ultimate plan that he had for the glorification of who he is and the salvation of the souls. And when you see Jesus Christ specifically at the cross, you see God and you see exactly what God has done for us. And it's like, I cannot believe what is going on. This is the power of salvation and even the power of God. So all I do is just stand in stark amazement of why did God save me? Why does God have a plan for me? Why am I under his providential relationship? Why am I under a providential will? Why am I under a providential covenant? Why would he ever do that? It makes no sense to me. I'm just going to shut up and praise him. That's it. It makes no sense to me why I would be saved, not anybody else, but why I'd be saved. He's just going to, I'm just going to be quiet and praise him. This providential will under people that are being saved gives us something. Do you know what it gives us? I'm going to give you a whole list. Providence, there's hope for the afflicted. There's hope for the afflicted. In Providence, there's rest for the weary. In Providence, there's peace for the one who is at unrest. In Providence, there's strength for the weak. In Providence, there is purpose in, your, in our pain. In Providence, there's security in our future. In Providence, there is grace in our midst. Is God wants to use a megaphone to shout to the world. And do you know what that is? It's the church that stands upon a rock of a providential will and a plan that God has for now and also for eternity. And when the church figures out that there is hope in affliction, and you hang on to those words, there's hope in affliction, and that there's rest for the weary, and that there is peace for those who are unrest, the world will then look at us and say, these guys are absolutely crazy. They stand on somebody that has a purpose in mind, and they think that purpose is good, and they act like they own the purpose. That's the providential will is for, is that I can have peace in all situations and circumstances. I can have rest in all situations and circumstances. I can have strength in all pain that even takes place. Because I stand on this God that did not wipe me out the second I was born, but a God who gave me this amazing, amazing mercy. And therefore, as a result of that, I want to proclaim to the world that I'm standing on something, and it's not me. He's given it to us so we can proclaim to the world, we're standing on something, and it's not you. <laughs> 
We're standing on something that is absolutely huge and something that is absolutely big. And when the entire world is falling apart, we can smile from ear to ear saying, we're standing on something and it's good. And all the fear should just be cast out. Peace should be implanted. I mean, yeah, we look at the world and yeah, it doesn't give us peace. It doesn't give us, doesn't give us um, a security at all. It doesn't give us anything. We're also looking at the world of a God who is in control of absolutely everything, and we can rest, rest and rely completely, um, completely and entirely um, on it. So I just want to look at, well, what does this do for us? I'm looking at our time, and I said I was going to give time to ask questions. Um, yeah, this is probably too much information. <laughs> I've already given you too much information. I'm, I'm sorry, just, a, just in a sense of, of, of what's going on and what's What's it do? There's three different wills, and people are asking the question, I want to know what God's will is for my life. And that's a question I ask. I'll just tell you, I ask all the time. And this is going to be really, really fast. I can do an entire series on it, but I'll just do it really, really fast. I want to know what God's will in my life. There's three different wills that God works off of. Number one, there is God's providential will, and it empowers you. Why? Because you can just go, I am rest assured that as long as I'm faithful, it's all going to be good no matter what takes place. And it might never even be good on earth. I might be like Paul and get my head cut off. But when I look back and I'm in heaven, I can look back and say, oh, it's still good. <laughs> I mean, not everything's going to be wonderful on earth, but everything is going to be good. And I can rest assured that it's all going to be good. It gives you power. It gives you strength to survive this world. And then there's God's written will. What's God's written world? will? The Bible. <laughs> I mean, this is the will of God. I mean, that's what, that's what the, the words say. You can go back to the Ten Commandments. You know, what does the Ten Commandments say? Well, it's God's written will. I mean, pretend like you are um, having lust for another person that's outside of your marriage. And you think, you know what? I'm not happy in my marriage, and I believe I'd be happier over there. I believe that my kids would be happier over there. I'm wondering if God is telling me that I should actually leave my marriage and have um, a relationship with that person instead of this person. If you think that way, the Bible is saying, hello, stupid. <laughs> this is my will. I put it down. Do not commit adultery. I mean, I mean so that's God's written will. It comes with power. I say it, do it. It's God's written will. We don't have to ask questions. We don't have to go pray about it. We don't have to think about anything. We say, do not lie, therefore do not lie. It's God's written will. It's a will that is provided to us. And I'll say a lot of our questions are answered. Right? This is God's will. And then the next one is God's personal will for you. If you're going to find God's will for you, take his providential will and relax. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up as wings as eagles. They will run and they will not grow weary. They will walk and they will not faint. That's somebody hanging on to God's providential will. And then take God's written will and then do what with it? Obey it to a T. <laughs> Respond to it. God's not looking for somebody to accomplish somebody. God is looking, looking for something to accomplish something. God is not looking for somebody to accomplish something. He's looking for somebody that has just a broken spirit to him and say, God, I'm nothing. Go ahead and, and, and do it. And whatever you want to do, I'm okay with, even if you want to hang me on a cross upside down before I go to heaven. You know, I'm okay with it because, because it's what you want to do. Hang on to God's providential will. It'll give you power. It powers you. Listen to God's written will. It equips you. And then God's personal will to send you is just be faithful. Faithful in the small things will then be faithful in even bigger things. That's how we find the will of God. And here's a passage that, that, um, um, that it really I hung on to as I was walking through what's God's will for my life. Proverbs 4.27 says this, Do not turn to the right and do not turn to the left. Just Turn away from evil. <laughs> I gotta go this way. Who do I marry? Do I marry this person? Do I not? Do you? All you have to do is in your mind start going, I'm just gonna turn away from evil. I'm not gonna go this way. I'm not gonna go this way. I'm gonna turn away from evil. And to watch God's providential will start to guide you and direct you into exactly what his plan is for your life. Be obsessed with turn away from evil. And I just wanna read that whole passage because it's under the context of that, that turn, but I also didn't want you to not recognize it. 27, Proverbs 4.20 says this, if you wanna find God's will, this is it. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to, the, and health to all their body. Watch over your heart with diligence, all diligence, 
for from it flows the spring of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your, and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right. Do not turn to the left. Just turn away from evil. And all of a sudden, God's beautiful providential will will then carry you a direction. And your faithfulness, in your faithfulness, you will be rewarded. In your faithfulness, you'll be rewarded. We often think that, you know, what's going to happen is that when I get to heaven, he's going to look back and see all that I accomplished. And when he sees what I accomplished, he will then judge me accordingly to what I accomplished. He's not going to judge you in regards to what you accomplished. He's going to judge us in regards to our faithfulness and our brokenness and our humility. He's going to judge us by the motives of our heart. Some people accomplish a whole bunch. Lots of people accomplish a whole bunch have the wrong motives. I have to think about that as well. What's my motive? What's my motive? Because I'm not going to be judged by anything standing up here. I'm not going to be judged by any of that. I'm going to be judged by the motive of my heart of why I stand up here. And I'll also be judged by my faithfulness, what's taking place inside of my life, not what's taking place even up here. See, so when we're looking at God's will, all we have to do is just say, God, I'm just going to narrow down, hunker down, and I'm going to be strong and powerful under your providential will, and I'm going to be obsessed with your written will, and I'm going to respond to it, and then be faithful, and then I look forward to seeing what the future will bring. And look at the time. A couple questions. Sir Peter. Um, oh, darn it, I forgot it now. Uh, can you expound on the verse, all things work for good uh, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose? Um, if I go out and do something incredibly stupid and not, you know, I go get drunk and go get in a car wreck and, you know, kill someone. Um, are all things going to work for good then? Mm-hmm. Really, really, really good question. And, and when I, I'm just going to talk a little bit about, you know, number one, our suffering that takes place. That's what it is about. It's, it's about, you know, the suffering that, that is happening. Um, when we sin, like you just described, suffering takes place, period. I mean, in other words, we do it, death happens. We get drunk. We drive, death happens. If death happens, it happens to them. It also happened to you. I mean, just describing your story of the person that was driving and suffering is then going to, um, is then going to take place. And what I would say in that context is God's name is going to be glorified in regards to an individual that is specifically committed to him. I'm going to go right to the cross Right next to the cross, you have a thief and you have a murderer. You have somebody that deserves absolute damnation with absolutely everything that he has done. And then at the very end of his life, he says what? God, please remember me when you, when you get into your kingdom. And then Jesus said the words, today you will see me um, in paradise. So here we have um, a story that we read, a story that we hang on to, a story that portrays an amazing amount of, of grace, an amazing amount of character of, of who Jesus is. But it's an ugly story. It, I mean, it's, it's a sick story. In fact, if you start digging into it, what about all the people that he was just twisted towards? What about all the people that he robbed? What about all the people he took advantage of? What about all the people that he sinned, um, sinned against? It's, it's a sick story, but God's words will always be spoken. Today, you will see me within paradise, in paradise, and God's name is being completely entirely proclaimed in that, and we are being completely touched specifically by that story. But it's not a very clean story. I mean, if you really dig into it, it's really not a very clean story. So this is the answer to your question, is that somebody who says, God, remember me, somebody who is saved, God, forgive me, 
God, wash away my sins. God, completely set me free. God, I want salvation, salvation from you, and salvation specifically, your grace. Please grant it to me. I would say that all things work together for good to those who love, uh, who love the Lord. And if you look at the concept, who, what? Love the Lord. If you love the Lord, you're not going to hate people. <laughs> I mean, that's just, that's just what works. It's not going to continue. So you're doing sin then that destroyed, but if you love the Lord, you're just going to stop. In that process, all things are going to work together for good, whether you're going to suffer or whether you're not going to suffer in regards to the sin that has taken place in the past. But yes, I believe that everything will work to good for those who love the Lord, and the biggest thing that is proclaimed is God's amazing grace in Scripture, not on what we can specifically accomplish. I had somebody, hopefully they're not in the room, maybe they are in the room, it's all right if you're in the room, it's not going to be bad. No, it's somebody that um, last night that, that even spoke, I don't know who it was, but they said the words, have you ever looked at Jacob's life? Have you ever looked at Abraham's life? Have you ever looked at Joseph's life? They dominated women. And here you're speaking about Paul's passage on marriage. And you're, how are we supposed to see them and read stories about them and then have something completely opposite of what they're doing now after the whole Testament is written on these people that dominated and destroyed women and then all of a sudden we're supposed to you know, treat our wives like Christ treats the church. You know, how would you do that? And my answer to that is, is that the Bible is really, really messy. It's really, really messy. In fact, if you read stories of Jacob, oh my goodness, it's messy. You read stories of Abraham. Remember, Abraham's a Mr. Faith. It's, it's really, really messy. But why are those stories there? They're not to point you back to Abraham and say, you guys, if you want faith, you need to be like Abraham. If you want faith, you need to be like Jacob. If you want faith, you need to be like David. Because if you start asking the question, like David when, when he killed Goliath or when he slept with Bathsheba? I mean, you start thinking about those things. We can't say, look at these biblical characters and be like them. We look at these biblical characters and we look and say, why in the world was grace showered to them? And then we can say, if it was showered to them, it's showered to me. And in all my sin, faults, I got drunk, somebody died, I've hurt people, I've destroyed people, God still has a mission. We're all things together will work good for those who love the Lord. So that's a long answer <laughs> um, in that, but um, hopefully, you know, if you, you can give a follow-up question if you'd like in regards if it wasn't specifically answered, but I'm trying to show you a picture of, of how, how it works. Are you an all right one with the answer? <laughs> okay. okay. It's, a, it's a really good question, but it's an ugly world, and it's a rough Bible. You know that in the Bible, we're going to talk about how to parent, you know, here pretty soon when it comes to families. There is not one single good example in the Bible about parenting. Not one. I mean, even Mary, mother of Jesus, 12 years old. Where's my son? I can't even find him. I left him at the store. I mean, I mean, everybody's messed up. I mean, that's what it is. That's what the Bible is about. Everybody's messed up. When we read the pages, we read everybody's messed up, and God is just gorgeous. That's what the Bible's about. And, um, and so, yeah, you can look at your sin right now and think there's no way God can love me. That is the most stupid comment you can make in the world, and the reason why is because God loved Jacob. God loved David. And, and see, that's, what's the drive, that's what the Scripture is driving for. So, the long answer. Sorry, you get me going. Miss Krause is saying, you better shut up. <laughs> so, I better, I better go. Thank you, guys for, thank you guys for listening. We might even, I'm trying to go fat. Well, anyway, I better not keep talking, but I know providence is big. It's a big subject. It's dropped in. I know there's probably a lot of questions. Um, we, we might be able to answer some next week or something. All right, we'll see you guys.